Thank you. 26 years ago, Tom, my husband, sat there and I came through those doors and Nicky Gumbel was standing here and he married us. And we asked Nicky to preach on the passage that we're going to look at today. And I want to be honest, I find this a difficult passage to speak about because it is a passage that has shaped our lives. And God spoke to me in this very building when I was a teenager, came forward for ministry, and I felt him stir me about this passage. And so too, my husband Tom was on a coach somewhere miles away, and he felt God speaking to him about this passage. And I haven't actually taken off my wedding ring, but I I did it for you. Because if you were able to see this, inscribed inside our rings is this passage. And I want to read it with you. It's Isaiah 58, verses 6 to 12. Is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen? To loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke. To set the oppressed free and break every yoke. Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the wanderer with shelter? When you see the naked to clothe them and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood. Then your light will break forth like the dawn and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help and he will say, here am I. If you do away with the yoke of oppression, with the pointing finger and malicious talk, and if you spend yourself on behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness and your night will become like the noonday. The Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land. He will strengthen your frame. You will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. Your people will rebuild the ancient ruins. They will raise up the age-old foundations and you will be called repairer of broken walls, restorer of streets with dwellings. I want to talk to you today about breaking the chains of injustice. This passage has been a vision for our lives to see an extreme makeover, not only in our lives, but in our communities, in our church and in our nation. And I think that's probably why I love that TV program, Extreme Makeover. I don't know if you've seen it. It's the US um, uh, program and they nominate a family who've been in some despair with a dreadful accommodation. And over a weekend, they transform their home. And I suppose I find it so moving as they, they move a bus out of the way to reveal this new home that's been built for this family. They burst into tears. They, they are so full of gratitude and shock. And I always burst into tears because I am amazed 
that out of the rubble, something of such great beauty and purpose can emerge and give an opportunity for for lives to look different. And I'm excited for us to look at how God brings beauty out of the rubble, how He is transforming situations, lives, communities, and our nation. But how could this happen? How is it possible? Well, this passage gives us the answer. Isaiah 58, the context of it is that Israel has been trapped in a foreign land in captivity. The city of Jerusalem with its temple was the place of God's glory, the place of His presence, but it had been decimated. And the Israelites had been taken off as exiles. And they were longing to return. They wanted to see those promises of God, of His glory shining as a light to the nations once again. And we believe now the context of this passage is that they're back. They're back in their homeland, full of expectation. Yet this chapter begins with lament. They're saying, can you not see God? We're fasting, we've got sackcloth and ashes, we're praying, we're worshipping you. Are you not hearing us? Our city is still in ruins. We are still living in the rubble. And God responds to them with those powerful words. He says, yes, there is always a time for fasting, for wearing sackcloth and ashes. There's always a time for worship and for prayer. But these things alone are not the full picture. God is calling us to something more. And this something more, he makes very clear to Israel. And it's all about social justice. Is this not the kind of fast I have chosen to loose the chains of injustice, untie the cords of the yoke, set the oppressed free, break every yoke, share your food with the hungry, provide the poor wanderer with shelter, see the naked clothe them and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood. Social justice is not just an optional extra or a a tag on to the gospel. It is central and fundamental. It's not worship and prayer or social transformation. It's worship and prayer and social transformation, social justice tied together. Then we will see the beauty of what God is rebuilding. Social justice is a priority for God as part of our worship. And Jesus taught his disciples, didn't he? The two greatest commandments, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your strength, your mind, but also love your neighbour as yourself. So why does social justice matter to God? Well, firstly, it matters to God because God is the God who breaks the chains of injustice. Chains do not have the last word. No matter what issues we see around us, no matter what issues you might be facing today, Jesus is the only one who can break the chains. And when Jesus began his ministry, you'll recall he quoted from Isaiah. He said, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because he's anointed me to preach good news to the poor, to bind up the brokenhearted, to set the captive free, to proclaim freedom for the prisoner and freedom for the oppressed. It is the cross 
not injustice that has the last word. And our God is a God who's broken every chain on the cross. And that's why only he can bring beauty out of ashes, rebuild things out of the rubble. And that's why he is so concerned with how you and I treat the widow, the orphan, the refugee, the least, the last, the lost, the most forgotten in our society. And you know, we live in a society of such division and polarization. And those voices seem to grow grow louder every day, don't they? The gap between those that have and have not. I met the most remarkable woman last month. She is a principal of a senior school and it's a school with severe challenges. 50% of the students are on uh, free school meals. They come, a lot of them come with from really chaotic backgrounds. And I said to her, you know, what, what as a head teacher is some of your greatest challenges? And she said this, and I asked her if I could write it down. She said, the pandemic has been like an earthquake and we are still experiencing the aftershocks. Teachers were trained to educate students But here we have to also be their social services, their family, their counsellors. At school, we constantly live in a state of high alert, on the edge of knife crime, mopping up the fallout from social media and the severe mental health challenges. Our world is suffering. But God is the God of justice. He's not just concerned about those who suffer. He identifies with them. He identifies with the marginalized, the weak, the victim, the underdog. Jesus himself, born in a stable, executed unjustly as a criminal, buried in a borrowed tomb, identifies with those who've been unjustly in prison. Identifies with each one of us where we faced injustice or suffering. He cares for the isolated. He cares for you. And the likelihood is that some of us today will be struggling. Some of us may well have experienced significant social injustice. Some may have been bullied or slandered, suffered abuse, or brutality, trapped in debts that aren't of our own making, suffering loss, or just feeling like society has just bypassed us. We're invisible, severely isolated. And if that's you, I want to say to you, you serve a God of justice who not only loves you passionately, but he steps down into your rubble into your brokenness. He weeps with you. He suffers with you. He longs to heal, restore, and set you free from those chains that have held you back. Our God is the God who breaks the chains of injustice. Every word we've spoken over ourselves, every negative word others have, he breaks them. And he promises to lift us out of the rubble and give us a fresh start. Isaiah 58 announces God's program, his great program to rebuild, 
to restore and to renew his people from the scrap heap of their own making. And I believe that is what Jesus wants to do today for many of us. He says it's time to break the chains. It's time to be the people I've called you to be. God not only breaks the chains, but he calls you and I to be chain breakers, to be his hands and his feet. Like he was calling Isaiah, this is the fast he is calling us to as well. And you may feel the most unlikely chain breaker, but it might just be in the small, undramatic ways of everyday life that you've got opportunities to help people become freer. Do you know, I love what you are all doing day to day throughout our city. I love seeing you get involved in the ways that you've got behind Love Your Neighbour, serving people across our city in different ways. Isaiah 58, God speaks about the diverse needs that he's calling us to support. He talks about the hungry. You know, the food bank just in the car park here, every bag of food that we give out is a sign of God's love. Surely it cannot be right that people in our city are starving. Parents are holding back eating food in order to feed their children. The poor, the prisoner, the work with Alpha in prisons, those caring for prison leavers, the refugee, you were just so got behind us welcoming as a community the 600 Afghan refugees who arrived last term and continuing to do amazing things with English lessons and sports clubs for the kids who are still stuck in those hotels. The homeless, week after week, you come and you help at the shelter, providing friendship, providing legal advice, providing haircuts, providing a place that says you are seen, you are no longer invisible, and God has a different plan to rebuild your life. The oppressed, those who are unemployed, Spear has now worked with 7,500 young people to get them back into work and education. But God says fundamentally, this is not a call to turn away from our own flesh and blood. In an ancient culture, the concept of family and tribe was massive. And it would have been shocking to describe a foreigner or an immigrant as your own flesh and blood. But God says, whoever is in need, whoever is your neighbor, is your family. They're your flesh and blood. And the fast that God is calling us to, as he did with Israel, is to spend ourselves on behalf of the poor and the hungry. Not only is our God the God who breaks our chains, he calls us to be chain breakers and he sends us out to play our part in this amazing work. Do you know that HTB has planted over a hundred churches across this nation, all with a pulsating heart to reach people with the hope of Jesus. And I got an email recently from a young curate just trained at Theological College called Andy. And it so moved me. His email said, I want a church plant. Tell me, where is the toughest, neediest, most forgotten place in this nation? That's where I want to take my young family 
to plant a church. God is raising up chain breakers. Thirdly, the work of social justice is central to God's heart. It's central for loving our neighbour, but it's also a sign of the kingdom of God. When you help people find a new home, when you help someone to become debt-free from our debt advice centre, which is overwhelmed at the moment with needs, when you pray on a Sunday for somebody to be healed, when you take care of the widow, and it may be in your family, you look after your elderly relative, when you welcome a stranger into your connect group or your community, every time you do one of these things, it is like a spiritual sign saying the kingdom of God is coming. It is breaking in to our earth. God is doing more of removing the rubble and the debris and bringing something of beauty out of the ashes. At the cross, Jesus triumphed over every enemy, every injustice, in order that we can be free. And social justice, I feel, is such a a complement to evangelism. It's an irresistible combination because when people see you do these acts of love, they want to know what motivates you, what's behind it. And we can say, it's not me, it's not us. It's Jesus' love. Nikki mentioned that Love Your Neighbour, which started just two years ago in response to the pandemic, with churches up and down this country of every denomination, we've managed to serve more than 20 million meals to people in need. And this Christmas, so many of you were involved in giving out bags of blessing, just goodies and treats to say to people, you're loved, you're not forgotten. And just around the corner at Earl's Court, we were dropping off some bags, knocking on doors. And this lady answered the door and she explained that she had lost every member of her family this last year. She was totally alone. And she went on to say, this is not only the only gift I'll get this Christmas, but I think this is probably the only conversation I will have this Christmas. And her neighbour piped up and she said, I didn't know churches did things like this. Can I come along and am I allowed to bring my daughter? Social justice is a witness. And I was fascinated to read Rodney Stark's book on the rise of Christianity. He's not a Christian himself, but especially the reasons he gives for why Christianity exploded in the early civilization and centuries. He writes this, to cities filled with the homeless, Christianity offered hope in these early centuries. To cities filled with strangers, Christianity offered an immediate basis for attachment, a new and expanded sense of family. To cities torn by ethnic strife, Christianity offered a new basis for social solidarity. And to cities faced with epidemics, Christianity offered effective nursing services. The church has always been called to be a community that restores and reaches out and loves those in need. This is our Christian heritage over centuries. And I love it when I, when I read about Christians who've been propelled by God's love to do something 
in their generation. Christians started the first school for street kids, the first universities, the first hospitals, the first hospice to care for the dying, the first almshouses for the poor, the first pension provider for widows. Businesses such as Cadbury, Guinnesses, Clarks, they use their enterprise to try and tackle issues of injustice. Reformers like Wilberforce and Shaftesbury fought for the abolition of slavery. They fought to, to make sure that child labour in factories was banned, championing rights for everyone. This is our Christian legacy of social justice. And finally, social justice matters to God because God is renewing the world. Revelation 21, verse 5, Jesus says, Behold, I am making all things new. And it matters to God because he cares about this life on the earth. And again, I believe it is such a profound message for our time and our culture to hear that. And, you know, we, we might be tempted to think, well, you know, the social issues, issues they're, they're too big. You know, we just can't, we're overwhelmed. The rubble is overwhelming what could be something of beauty. But that is not the picture that the Bible gives. It is not what Jesus says that he is bringing. He says he's in the business of renewing his creation to create beauty and to arise. And social justice is part of this renewal. And I believe God is calling us by his spirit to act in faith and in hope. In 1666, Christopher Wren was appointed as the architect to rebuild the iconic St. Paul's Cathedral. The city had been suffered with multiple pandemics and plagues, and it had been followed by that devastating fire. It had been decimated to rubble. 100,000 people were homeless, 56 churches burned, businesses lost. The city looked bleak. And Christopher Wren, standing in the rubble, with a stonemason, was passed a fragment of a tomb in order to use it as a ruler. And as he turned it over, he saw the words engraved in Latin, resurgam, meaning I will rise again. And he was so profoundly moved by it that he decided on the south transept of the cathedral to engrave those words, resurgam, with a giant phoenix rising from the ashes, as if to say to the church and to the cities, you will rise again with strength and power in your wings. And I believe that is what the Spirit is saying to each one of us. No matter how desperate the brokenness or the rubble we face, you will rise again because God is in the business of rebuilding. To us as a church, at this great time of need in our nation, we have the opportunity to rise with healing in our wings, to rebuild in this post-COVID world something of great beauty and hope. And playing our part in this renewal of God's creation is what we are called to. Through small acts of kindness, through what you're doing here, gathering on a Sunday, but also what you do Monday to Saturday, how you treat your colleague at work, 
how you use your business to have good, to change things for good in society. How you spend your money, how you treat the environment. It matters to God. And notice God's promise at the end of our passage today. And this is the promise that Tom and I have held on to for the last 26 years, even when it's looked like rubble and nothing can be built. We've held on to this promise for 26 years of our lives. And I, I'd want to encourage you to hold on to it too today. That when you turn towards your neighbour, when you satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness. You will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. Your people will rebuild the ancient ruins and will raise up the age-old foundations. You here will be called repairer of broken walls, restorer of streets with dwellings. In Jesus' name, amen.